Hello, you're listening to the Poshcore Podcast with Alan and Sakura. Thank you to all of our subscribers for subscribing and listening to the podcast. We've had a great time. Um, we're currently doing episode three, so it's going to be awesome. It's about evacuation, which is not so awesome, but it's still fun. And thank you to everybody for buying our podcast bundle. Um, thanks to your sales, I can today give Sakura $80. And I can today buy gas. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to help Sakura make another $80. <laughs> By the podcast bundle. <laughs> Yay! So we were talking originally about recording this on Friday the 13th. Uh, yeah. And you were pretty nervous about that. What was your <laughs> What was your nervous... I just don't like scary things. Something about that, that day. Why? <laughs> <laughs> now that I think about it, it's really stupid. It's like uh, very childish. <laughs> my biggest fear when, um, when I was in Peace Corps was being evacuated. Um, ah. which, you know, in South Africa, I, I really can't imagine a coup d'etat or anything like that, mm-hmm. but being medically evacuated was always a big concern of mine. Um, something like that. Um, you had a, a situation in Morocco when, were you consolidated? Is that what happened? We weren't consolidated. So there was, um, a bombing in Marrakesh in the, I think in the main square in Jamalfana and, um, at a cafe. But yeah, the bombing was definitely geared towards Westerners. And so, you know, Peace Corps freaks out and texts us, like, you know, text us where you guys are. And, but mm. we did kind of freak out, like, okay, will we be consolidated? Um, because it was, ve- it was very evident that this was geared towards Westerners and we are Westerners. Like, because we'll, I think Morocco was evacuated um, in 2003 when like the wars were just starting in the Middle East. So, and so we ended up not being consolidated and not coming home, which, um, which was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good thing. I didn't want that. I didn't want my service to end like that. That would have been a crappy way to, yeah. to go. Yeah. Um, That's sort of the, the thing in the last two years, there's been what, three, maybe, well, three or four Peace Corps countries, all with very large numbers of volunteers that were evacuated, the program closed. Right, like uh, Mali. Yeah. Um, Ukraine. Ukraine. Uh, like Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone. Liberia. Liberia. Guinea. Yeah. 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 So it's like you were, you close that many programs, evacuation becomes an even bigger deal because if your program was evacuated and it was the only one in the last three years, probably they'll find everybody in that country a new position. But when you close that many countries in two years, that's over a thousand volunteers. You've got to find a thousand volunteers, a new site, and right. where you're going to put them. And it's just not even, it's not even a possibility. So today's episode, we'll be talking about the biggest volunteer fear of all: evacuation. Dun dun dun. <laughs> On July 30, 2014, Peace Corps announced that it would remove volunteers from Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea due to the increasing spread of the Ebola virus. Two months later, I managed to get in touch with two of these evacuated Peace Corps volunteers. Maureen Loomis was a volunteer in the city of Kakata, Liberia. You were in Liberia for a year. Um, do you remember when you first got to Liberia, what was your first reaction to the country? Um, well, I was really excited. Um, it was disorienting, like it is to be in a, a country so different from America. Um, I wasn't really homesick for America, 
but I definitely had moments where I needed to be like, just go and sit in a corner quietly and listen to music and take a deep breath. But I also had moments where I was really excited to go walking through the market, even though it was rainy season and there was mud everywhere. But um, my first, my first impressions of Liberia were definitely, yeah, I could make this place my home. Um, yeah, obviously the Civil War would have uh, probably stressed culture quite a bit. Did you notice any other, um, because I've heard that in Rwanda it's very difficult because just because of all the, the atrocities that happened, the culture was pushed almost to the breaking point. Yeah. Um, did you notice anything like that in Liberia? Uh, there's a definite sense of displacement. I would pass out papers for my students to take a test and if I start at the front of the row and I counted and there's 10 students in the row and I give out 10 pieces of paper, a couple places along the line people are going to take two or three. Not because they need paper immediately but because they might need it in the future and if it's free then they're going to take it. So that kind of um, desperate grabbing for anything that they can get, it, you could really feel the, the desperation from like starving and running from your homes and all that kind of stuff was still there. Um, were there any other things about Liberian culture specifically that were sort of like shocking or like just kind of surprising to you or that you, you, you didn't expect? Um, mostly that it wasn't very clear what Liberian culture was because of the war. There's uh, a lot of value placed on Western culture more than there is on Liberian culture in a lot of places. and they love Americans. So I was American woman or white woman walking down the street and they were so happy to see me and they just wanted to talk all about American shows and American culture. And that was, you know, I wanted to talk a lot about Liberian culture and that was kind of like, oh, you know, that's not very interesting. Like, move on from that. So people sort of lost their sort of attachment to what what they're supposed to do and who they're supposed to be. Yeah, this, you know, your your identity and your language and your food and your craft and your geographical region, that all gets disrupted when you have to move and you don't have any food and you don't learn how to do that craft from your grandfather or your father or your mom. So, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't really much there. Mm. So like, I think it was during, it would have been during your first six months in country, I guess, that the first uh, Ebola case was reported in Guinea, I think? So, yes. Um, from what I've been able to tell from the news, the first Ebola case was in December, mm -hmm. and it was in Guinea. Although, we didn't hear about Ebola in Liberia until March. And one of my Peace Corps friends was living in Foya, and that was the first site where the Ebola crossed the border from Guinea, because a lot of the students at their school were from Guinea and they got a lot of goods in the market from Guinea and people would come from those border towns across to the FOIA hospital and those were where the first cases in Ebola were. Was there any, was your community affected at all? Um, people were kind of talking about it and on the radio we would hear the Ebola in town song but nobody in my community had it for a very long time, nobody uh, really knew what it was. There was a lot of conflicting information. A lot of people like, eh, it's not real. It's not something that I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. So it was present in all of our vocabularies, but we didn't really see it in Kakata. Mm -hmm. And so when, when did you get the, uh, 
notion that it, it was sort of going to be a problem for your, your service? Um, we had, I, Kakata is also the site of the training compound, so all the new trainees arrived in June, and I had been doing work even before they arrived, uh, helping to organize training and, and do um, training of trainers and kind of get everything ready for PST, and I was helping as a resource volunteer, um, and so I was really involved with Peace Corps staff. Um, a couple of people had subscribed to the BBC Twitter updates on their phones, so they were getting updates from the BBC, like, oh, there's more people, and it's now not just in FOIA, it's in Monrovia as well. And then there was a case at the beginning of training, uh, the beginning of PST, and one of the trainee's host mothers was a nurse at the hospital where somebody had died of Ebola. So they took the trainee out of that house and moved him to a different house. So then it was in my sight. By the beginning to mid-July, people were definitely spending a lot more time talking about Ebola. Maureen was taking part in pre-service training. She was helping to train the newest group of Peace Corps volunteer arrivals. One of these trainees was Kelly Ernst. She had been in Liberia for seven weeks, living with a Liberian host family and receiving language and cultural training from Peace Corps staff. Did you um, notice any sort of, I guess, did you pick up on any lingering uh, effects from the Civil War? I mean, you know, uh, Peace Corps is really prevalent in the country, um, I think it's 1962 um, when Peace Corps was there, so a year after Peace Corps was founded. Um, we were entered into Liberia, and so there's always been a really strong Peace Corps presence. And um, but then when the Civil War hit, um, you know, Peace Corps was evacuated, and um, and that actually definitely affected the way that people received the news that we were being evacuated. It kind of seemed like, you know, reminiscent of what happened last time. Something bad will come because Peace Corps is leaving. Our um, homestay pow was taught by education, or taught by uh, Peace Corps. And so when we told him we were leaving, it was, it was very much just reminiscent of the last time Peace Corps left, which ended in a pretty bad and bloody civil war. And How did Peace Corps first tell you about, um, about the fact that you were going to be evacuated? I assume they didn't, my guess is they didn't just tell you, my guess is they sort of, you know, prepared you a little bit and then told no. you later. There was no time for that. I mean, we were asked to stay late one day that we had a meeting at, I think, 6 o'clock at night or something. And we were all like, oh, my gosh, we have so much lesson planning to do. We just got done with model school. We, like, that's how I felt. I felt like I needed the whole night to just really lesson plan. So I'm sitting there trying to lesson plan, and everyone's chatting, and we're, like, playing this really fun, upbeat song. I don't even remember what it was now, but it was something that got people up and dancing and singing, some American song, and... and um, sure somebody remembers exactly what it was and then yeah our program manager walked in and um, she could barely choke out the words so she told us that it would be about a week within the week we'd be leaving I just remember being like no what she's joking she's a kidder she's just joking it was like just a shock and seeing her like just such a strong person start to cry I was like okay this is real and so um, that night we went home and 
I had to tell my pa, which is like the hardest thing that we had to do, I think, out of all of that. Just seeing this really strong, you know, man um, with so much, um, so many experiences that he'd had in his life just kind of break down and talking to him about that. Um, we went back and they told us that they were going to bring our home safe families in at three that afternoon and have like a, um, like a public just um, announcement to them and to thank them for all their work and, um, and that we'd be leaving that night. All of us. And so it was just really hard because it was like we heard all that information and went through all those emotions. And then, you know, you're not leaving in a week or in a few days, you're leaving tonight. Like, go back your stuff. So I never even got to see my brother before we left. I mean, it was just, it was just really sudden. And then that whole night was just exhausting and tiring. You know, the, of course, like standard Liberian travel or African travel, you know, in some ways, like buses were supposed to be there at 10 and they showed up at like three in the morning or something after one had gotten stuck and didn't even show up and just the classic <laughs> transportation issues. And as we were, you know, frantically bussed out of the country, which comes with so much privilege it's like turning around and, you know, bye and all my privilege, I'm able to leave. You know, hope you don't die. Like, what is that? You know, I mean, they can't leave. Like, they don't have that option. I was alone at my site. So I, Liberia is kind of unique. We have roommates, some of us as volunteers. Um, and my roommate was actually at the training compound. So she wasn't home and she hadn't been home for a couple of days. And I was sitting on my neighbor's porch and uh, they were like, oh, we have to turn on the radio, we have to turn on the radio, there's an important speech coming. So they turned on, it was probably on mill radio, and uh, it was President Sirleaf addressing the nation and talking about how Ebola was real, how they were going to be closing the schools for a semester and how um, it was going to be a criminal offense to hide a body or a sick person and not give them to a hospital, how it was going to be a criminal offense to increase the price of bleach or buckets or any cleaning supplies artificially, and how everybody needed to work together to kind of um, fight Ebola because it was something that was very serious and that the country needed to be aware of. And I was just, I was shocked and silence with my mouth open like listening to this very serious radio broadcast and then I went back to my house and there was an email from Peace Corps saying uh, we've decided to remove the volunteers from these three countries and we need you to um, pack your bags up and be ready for further instructions. Uh, I, I went over back over to my neighbor's house and I was just like I got this email from Peace Corps they want us to go home like I don't I don't want to leave. I, I was just in shock. Um, we went to the market. My neighbor Lydia and I went to the market and bought some rice and potato greens and fish and supplies and came back and we cooked a meal in the house full of families and my roommate and I all had a meal together. And uh, Lydia was nine months pregnant. <laughs> 
and she was going to have her baby pretty much any day. And my roommate and I were going to be namesakes for the child and kind of like godparents. And we were really excited. We had been really excited about this baby. So we spent a lot of dinner talking about, well, what was Lydia going to name it and when it was going to be due and, you know, we're going to come back soon so we can see it. And uh, it was really, really difficult to say goodbye. And we had a longer time to do that because we were already at site. And uh, they had given us like, you should please be back to the training compound by this time on this day. And so we had almost 24 hours to close up our house, pack up our bags, um, say our goodbyes. And um, it was not the most fun I've ever had in my life. And definitely not what I had planned even the day before, not even on my radar. And then uh, they put the trainees on the first flight they could get out and the trainees were gone like within, I think 48 hours of the announcement being made, maybe even sooner than that. And then there were two flights that they could find to get us on, one that was like a couple days and one that was three or four days. They gave us um, our APCD is really amazing. And she brought us together the night before we left uh, to give us Primaquin and uh, money for the airport and like other logistical stuff and pharmacy cards. And then we watched this incredible TED talk about a Nigerian author. I do not remember her name, but she's, um, she talks about the danger of a single story and about how if you have one story that's told about anything, that it's degrading, it's harmful, then you need to have more than one perspective on things. And this was also in the context of you're going to be going back to America, and people in America really only know one thing about Ebola in West Africa, and you're going to say the name of your Peace Corps country, and they're immediately going to say, oh, Ebola, and that's going to be it. And it's up to you to tell your story of this outbreak, it's up to you to tell your story of your service, it's up to you to help flesh out the, the image that this country has in everybody's minds. And I felt really, like sad to be leaving, but I felt really guilty that I had the chance to get on an airplane and then be in a country with good healthcare and good roads and that my neighbor's baby was going to be born and she'd had to she'd had to go to the hospital and then the hospitals were closed and then talk to somebody who knew who the midwives were from the hospital and go to this woman and say please will you come and help me have this baby in my house because I can't go to the hospital to have it and so I was just thinking about her and her baby and and my students and I got to be somebody who left and it didn't feel like I was very lucky to leave because that wasn't what I wanted to do at all. I wanted to stay. Um, so what, what is your, what has Peace Corps told you at this point about your status? Um, um, we are closing out, so we are um, doing our COS, which is close of service paperwork um, now. And as of October 1st, we will be considered non, um, well, we're actually in a weird place because we were only trainees. 
So we didn't swear in, which means we're not considered a returned Peace Corps volunteer um, because we were never officially a volunteer. <laughs> so that adds a whole bunch of different layers and um, so we don't get some of the same privileges and and um, and so yeah, it, it's just a little bit odd. What, uh, what do you wish that uh, Americans knew about Liberia? They asked that question at the bottom of the VRF. <laughs> uh, and every time I can't think of a sentence to sum up what I wish Americans knew about Liberia. I wish people could meet Lydia and taste her potato green soup and just talk to her because the way she sees the world is so different from the way I see the world and she is my closest friend there. Um, Liberia isn't a civil war. It isn't Ebola. It isn't any one thing. No country can be defined as any one thing. That single story is such a big problem. Listening to the Poshcore podcast with Alan and Sakura. I think that's the thing about evacuation that nobody talks about, and why it's uh, it is such a, a scary thing for volunteers. Is that you and I? We COS'd. We did two years. Right. No, no matter what anybody might wish, <laughs> we're returned Peace Corps volunteers. Right. And Officially. Yeah. Um, if you are, if you leave early for whatever reason, you know, I think there's a question. What is your status? Uh, are you a returned Peace Corps volunteer? Right. For these, like, for these two, uh, you know, for this girl in Liberia, there's even this question because they were just trainees: Was I ever a Peace Corps volunteer? Yeah, I think I think she can, they can call themselves Peace Corps volunteers. Yeah. I mean, my God, you you go through the training. The training is three months and can vary in intensity from country to country depending on your program. Um, but either way, I mean, you're in the thick of it. Yeah. You're on the ground. You're living with complete strangers that you may not be able to understand depending on the country and the language you're speaking. Mm -hmm. That is Peace Corps. You're just trying to understand the world outside of America and trying to offer a perspective to those in that country. Hey, this is what an American looks like, and I look different from the Americans on TV. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's just like, that's my first time hearing that interview so that's like incredibly sad to me that I know. Yeah. that not only that they had to leave early but also that you know by the rules and technically they're not considered volunteers I mean that just like totally sucks yeah yeah <laughs> when I first recorded it like it took me a long time to figure out if I could even do anything with it because I was like this is just sad yeah you know? it's like I don't I don't have any advice I don't have anything useful to say about it it's just awful you know right one thing I wanted to ask you about was what did you think about her comment about the privilege of being just picked up and moved from, from the crisis? Oh, I thought that was such a brilliant, like, sentence <laughs> or comment. I mean, yeah, I never even I never even thought of it directly that way. But what a word to use, I yeah. think, too. Just, like, her choice of word was just, like, brilliant. I guess now that I think about it, I guess I could feel the same way to a certain extent. One thing that, that really struck me, I can I can certainly like understand how that must be so hard, especially for a Peace Corps volunteer, because as a Peace Corps volunteer, you go into a village and everything you do is sort of designed to demonstrate the point, I'm not just a tourist. You know, right. I'm one of you. You know, yeah. we're together. 
So to be evacuated and have somebody come in and go, oh, no, no, you're not. Just kidding. We're not together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no more there's no more strong demonstration of privilege than when a catastrophe comes, some clandestine group comes in, grabs you, pulls you out. Right. Takes you to safety. Right. Yeah. But that, that comment about privilege was just super inter- it, really interesting to me. On the, the like, one bright side of... The one bright the side. The one bright Token side. Token bright side. <laughs> the one bright side of what what happened is that as these volunteers, just as these volunteers were being picked up and whisked back to America, um, a group of return Peace Corps volunteers were signing up with aid organizations and actually being sent back into Liberia and Sierra Leone. Yeah. Um, And we talked with one of them who was a uh, Peace Corps volunteer in South Africa at the same time that I was serving. In South Africa, there was was, uh, this legendary volunteer named Alex Tran. I was actually, we went to a hostel and we met these German tourists. Uh, mm-hmm. South Africa is a big destination for Germans. And so we were talking to them. They're like, oh, who are you? What do you do? And we were like, oh, we're in the Peace Corps. And these Germans were like, they heard the word Peace Corps, and they were like, do you know Alex Tran? <laughs> so <laughs> International superstar. Yeah. So oh, my like, God. He was that volunteer. And so after my service, you know, I wasn't surprised to hear that he signed up for Peace Corps response. Following that, he went to work for USAID, and I wasn't surprised when I heard he was going to Sierra Leone to join the relief efforts there. So I talked with him about his experiences in Sierra Leone with the, um, with the relief work there. And then how did you get involved in the, the aid work happening in Sierra Leone? The way that I got involved was I reached out to people at the International Medical Corps and, you know, had a couple of conversations with them and you know, a couple of weeks later, I had an interview, and a couple of weeks after that, I was on my way on a plane to Sierra Leone. And what did the what sort of work were you uh, told you were going to be doing? So my my official position was the monitoring and evaluation coordinator for the International Medical Corps or IMC uh, in Sierra Leone. So essentially, what we were doing, what I was doing, was when I first got on the ground, operations had not yet at all been established. So essentially it was, I was sent there to build a monitoring and evaluation plan uh, from from scratch, essentially. Um, helping the medical team develop medical protocols, uh, working with the psychosocial team and mental health counselors on, you know, the best way to deliver mental health care. And then developing, you know, a data system that can capture all of that information on all of that data to show and monitor their different activities as well as the potential impact that our program we're having. Um, what, what were your impressions of just the, the atmosphere? Um, how, did, how did the country seem to you? You know, I had never really, I've ne- I'd never been to West Africa before. Um, I'd never been to Sierra Leone specifically before either. And so I can't, I can't really say what it was, what it would have been like before, but I remember like walking along the beach um, of Freetown and you know and just remember that I, i've never been there before and don't really have an idea of how crowded things could possibly get but there were a couple of days in which i thought if i didn't know there was an ebola outbreak happening i would have had no idea you know when i when i first got there you know the, the media that we that we saw especially to the run-up um say like october august and september i thought they were going to be honestly uh, this may sound really ignorant but perhaps a lot of people were feeling the same way was that I really thought there was going to be dead bodies just strewn all over the place. Mm-hmm. 
you know, people had, you know, died, died of Ebola, everything was crazy, or, you know, there was just going to be absolute madness. But everything seemed fine. But that in, that in itself lies the challenge of, you know, you see, you know, hundreds of new cases per day that are being diagnosed, and then you see, where are these people coming from? I know you, you weren't familiar with Sierra Leone before the Ebola outbreak, but do you think maybe some of that had to do with the fact that, you know, they've been struggling with civil war and, and other issues for years and years and have just learned how to get along even in a crisis? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember one story that really stuck with me that kind of really framed my entire experience for perhaps the entire time was the first person I met in Sierra Leone. You know, he kind of, when I, we kind of just had a general conversation. He kind of looked off in the distance and he just said, you know, you know, after the war had taken everything away and I thought everything was going to be, but after the war was over, things were getting better. Um, my children were going to school. I had a job and suddenly Ebola comes and takes it all away again. Was there, were, were there difficulties getting supplies, getting food to all of the, the outlying villages? So what happened was every time that there was a confirmed Ebola case within a household, that household would be put under lockdown and put under quarantine. And what happens during an official quarantine is, you know, no one within that household is allowed to move outside of the household. Mm. And I, in an ideal situation, they would have, you know, government partners or services coming out to provide food. And, but oftentimes for, for, for whatever number of reasons, there was, there, there was often a lot of delays in providing food, providing supplies, providing, you know, kind of the basic essentials to live. And I think one of the worst things actually was oftentimes there would be official government quarantine homes, but then chiefs would often just state that, okay, you know, we have enough quarantine homes here by the government. This entire village is now quarantined. So the chiefs would say, you know, you are, you're not allowed to leave um, your homes either. But those homes were not even under official quarantine. So the government says, oh, they're not under official quarantine, so we don't have to provide them anything. So there were a lot of houses that were not under official quarantine, but were, you know, quarantined by the village. So they were doubly not getting any supplies or, or food or anything like that. Um, how, do you, how do you think your Peace Corps service affected your work while you were there? I think building, building a program from scratch really reminded me of, you know, the first couple months of Peace Corps service. I remember, you know, you like, you, oftentimes when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, you know, really fresh minted out of college, I was just kind of sitting out there going, oh my God, what do I do? It's crazy, I have no direction. I, I, I don't know what, what I'm supposed to do. I, I need to develop strategies. What do I develop strategies for? And I think that Peace Corps pretty much pretty prepped me for this, for this in a lot of ways, more so than even my formal education could have. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit tired at the moment. Huh. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. I felt some burnout uh, uh, toward the end there, and you know, I, I hear that. I heard that there's some uh, stuff ramping up in the Middle East. Uh, <laughs> I've reached out to by some orgs uh, to help with the Syrian refugee crisis. 
so that could be on that could be in the cards. Um, we'll have to. I'll have to. I'll, I'll check back. I'll check back in with you after a bit. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Alex. Yeah, this is uh, this has been cool talking. So you know, I um, I've been offering like free screening rights to Poshcore to all the universities that were on the list of top 10 universities. Oh, right. Yeah. And I heard back from CU Boulder, uh, University of Colorado Boulder, and they said, we cannot approve this, uh, this film for screening because it has bad language. So I was like, oh, that sucks. All of those university kids who grew up on the internet would be shocked by the language. Because <laughs> there's like the Posh F word. Court. Yeah, yeah. What? So, if you'd like to see the film that was banned in Colorado, get on our website, poshcore.com, and buy the podcast bundle, Yeah, which includes my film and Sakura CD. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, so be sure to do that. And you can email us at podcast at poshcore.com if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, whatever. Um, and subscribe to our mailing list. Another thing to check out on our website is we've been bringing on new Peace Corps volunteer films. Yeah. The latest one is called Feast and Sacrifice. It's about a host family in Senegal. It's one of my favorite films. Um, I recorded a commentary, an educational commentary, with the director, Claire Major, about Peace Corps service in Senegal and things that you can learn about that experience. It's awesome. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Cool. Let's go to the British food. Nailed it.